0: We we have a general idea that block periodization works, but we don't we don't know the specifics down to these these marginal details yet.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Matchbox podcast powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and today we're talking about a race tapering, the what, when, why, and how of block periodization, and how much endurance training volume you should include during your offseason. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. With the race season in full swing, it's time to start dialing in your race to nutrition, and Flow has everything you need. So head over to flowformulas.com today and use the discount code Podcast for 10% off your next order. As always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a 5 review. And If you have any questions for the show, you can send those to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email title of the Matchbox Podcast, or find us on Instagram and send us a direct message. All right, let's get into it. All right, let's kick this show off with a little question about tapering so we're kind of coming out of the base season now a lot of people are getting into their their race season especially if you live in the south Uh, you've probably been training for five six months now and there's some big races on the calendar coming up soon and there's gonna be some people that are tapering for their a races probably in the next month or two i would guess you know april may some pretty big gravel races some big road races so we got a question from a listener here it's from tony he says what should the last three weeks before your a race look like I hear intensity, 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 but does that mean that all of your workouts, 90, 85% of your workouts, 80% of your workouts, and what intensity are you
0: training at? <laughs> so it's funny. I, I feel like he needs... So he's he's wondering if if 100%, 90%, or 80% of his workouts need to be intense, uh, which is which is funny to me because you almost want to exactly flip that. And we're talking more about, I don't know, 20% of your workouts being intense. And, and I, I I see how this gets confusing because, you know, like he said, you hear intensity, 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 when you get closer to racing that does the, the caveat, um, there, and it's good that you're bringing it up and that we're talking about it is that that does not mean that Every single ride you do is more intense. That means that your high intensity days in your schedule are more intense. So maybe instead of doing, uh, you know, intensity around FTP, you're doing more VO2 max workouts or you're doing 30 30s. Those are higher in intensity than some of the intervals that you may have been doing in your base season. Um, that still means that a relatively, you know, small amount of your total training time. Is intensity. Um, so you don't want to you don't want to abandon polarized or pyramidal training uh, just because you're getting closer to racing. And in fact, if anything, your training should be getting more polarized the closer you get to your race day, uh, depending on what what you're training for. But
2: also depends on the the type of event. Um, and with it being the other thing, I'll say with it being this early in the season, is it. An, event that you even really need to taper for or is it something that you can kind of train through? Um, like what is the priority of this race? Um, mm-hmm.
1: but- yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's, that is a difficult thing about putting a races early in the season is you kind of lose out on, uh, building more fitness for the rest of the season. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you're taking a three week taper, then that's setting you back, you know, potentially a month and a half or two months of actual training progress. Um, but you know, th- there's plenty of big races, you know, mid South just happened this past weekend. BWR series is already, you know, kicked off, yeah. um, some big mountain bike races coming up. So there's going to be some people that are prioritizing these early season races. Um, hopefully they they live in the South and they've gotten a big base already and
0: yeah. I, one of, one of my buddies at Mid-South, he was talking to me about his training for Mid-South, and he's already been doing the VO2 max intervals, the 30-30s, and he did a taper, like a, a serious A-race type taper for Mid-South. And I was like, dang, man, you're taking this this race super seriously. And he's like, yeah, it's a big race, and I'm hoping that everybody else is like just coming out of their base season and that maybe I can get a better result than I otherwise would uh, if the race was smack in the middle of, uh, when everybody else is, <laughs> is, uh, you know, at, in peak form. I was like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, cause you know, mid South, mid South is a big deal and it's really early. So there, there are plenty of races like that. Um, as far as what the, what the, so he specifically asked what do the three weeks leading into the race need to look like? um, I don't, so I, I I sometimes get asked about how long the taper needs to be for an A race. Um, we could get into how long the taper needs to be for a B and a C race. For a C race, you don't need a taper at all. It's just part of your training. For a B race, you might want to do half a week taper. And I usually don't taper or have my athletes taper for longer than a week for anything. I think sometimes when you get into these two-week tapers, I I think it just gets to be a little bit too long and, and you run the risk of showing up on race day a little flat, uh, at least in my experience. So maybe I might have a, uh, like for example, if, if you've got a race on Saturday, um, you know, maybe, maybe the Sunday before, instead of doing your typical long ride, that's five to six hours, you may cut that in half. And that's, I guess when you would technically be starting your taper and then that week leading into the race i would probably have it be mostly either recovery rides or short uh light zone two rides with the exception of you know maybe the day before the race do openers and somewhere in there get in a a short high intensity session that doesn't completely kill you so for example a like a a 30 30 workout where on Wednesday, maybe, or Tuesday, where you're, in, you know, instead of doing uh, two or three sets of 30-30s, maybe you just do one. Or maybe instead of doing five VO2 max intervals like you normally do, just do three. So you're still getting in the intensity, but you're not ending that workout thinking, wow, I'm completely smoked.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think the important thing to to keep in mind during a taper is that you're not trying to build fitness. Mm-hmm. you're at best trying to maintain fitness while shedding fatigue. So that means dropping volume, dropping overall intensity volume, but you can keep the intensity high because like you were saying, like that's, those are the race efforts. That's keeping your body sharp, um, trying to maintain that high level of fitness. But um, yeah, you don't want to be getting in the mindset of like, you need to keep building fitness right up to the race. That's, that's kind of the, the anti taper mentality. Yeah. All right. So we have any more to say on that I one? would agree. No, I mean, it. Th- like this is such a tricky topic because tapering is actually c- can be really hard to, to get right. Um, yeah, but it doesn't need to be very, com- complicated. Like there yeah. are just some things that you can't control with it. So like, it, you know, the more complex you try and make it probably the less likely you're going to get it right.
2: Yeah, I think it's very individual, almost in the same sense that like your warm up or your openers before a race is very individual. Like it should be simple. It should be You shouldn't overthink it, but you need to kind of experiment to get it right. Um, And I would say the same goes for a taper. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. some people do really well going in after a full blown rest week. But, yeah, I would say the same. I feel a little flat. Um, Some people, too, you know, uh, were we talking about Alexi Vermeulen going for a run? Was that us? He Alexei goes for a run like the the. <laughs>
0: so Alexi Vermeulen doesn't go or for does a run. Does something crazy. But what he does do, which I you know is not typical for a taper week, is he'll do a long ride. So if he's got a race oh, on Saturday, he does a long ride on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Like he'll, I, I think before Unbound, he did four or five hours on Thursday, yeah. and then he and then he did a pretty short, easy ride on Friday. But he. He said that's what that's what gets him feeling good on on race day is if he does a long ride two days before. Yeah. So, you know, (laughs) it's not it's not what I would recommend, but I I guess it goes to show that you might need to do some experimentation here. Yeah. I mean, he also comes from world
1: tour racing background, you know, with Mm -hmm. stage racing experience and super long stage or super long one day races and stuff. So maybe just used to be in that state of fatigue. Okay. So this next question, let's see, it comes from Caleb and Caleb, if you're listening, we're not going to get to all of your questions in this episode, but we are going to hit one of them. So he says, first off, thanks for the great podcast. I just found you guys last week and you've quickly jumped to my short list of favorites. I have a few questions for you guys. So don't feel like you need to get to all of them immediately. Sorry, we're not. Um, he's also only listened through episode eight. So he says there's a decent chance that we've addressed some of these questions on other episodes. Was going in order? <laughs> yeah, that's going to take a while. I think this is episode forty-three. I think
0: so. Oh wow, wow. So long ways I to go. Can't believe together. we've done that many. <laughs> yeah. Usually, when I find a new podcast, I feel like I listen in backwards order. I listen to the newest first, and then if I really like it, I go older. Not start <laughs> start at number because I feel like a lot of times the you know when you just start a podcast, probably your worst episodes are your first ten. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad that he still that he still likes what we're doing. He's still listening, yeah. So okay, so so we have addressed this topic
1: before. We we did do an episode on block periodization, but um, I think it's it's worth touching on again. So he says, you guys talked about block periodization in the episode that I just finished, and I had a couple questions about the concept. With five days of intensity in that first week, are the other two days full on rest or recovery spins? Are all five intensity days performed consecutively, or are they broken up by those other two days? Do you keep the total weekly volume the same for the intensity week as a subsequent recovery weeks, or is the volume higher during this intensity week? Uh, Let's see. Last question. Is the block periodization something that could be mixed in with a standard build phase approach, or would you do a build phase with exclusively this block periodization? Um, Let's see. So he says, for example, option one, two cycles of one intensity week followed by three recovery weeks for eight weeks total, Option two: one intensity week followed by three recovery weeks, then four weeks of a more typical uh, build week, build cycle.
0: Yeah, so there are not hard set rules on how you have to do a block week, and part of the reason for that is, I mean, we don't have endless studies about what the perfect block week looks like. Um, you know, compared to some other training topics, I would say that the research on block periodization is somewhat limited. So you know, all these specific questions about what are the other days in the week look like, how many days per week, what are the intensity days look like, how much volume, uh, there are questions that we don't, that research doesn't necessarily have the answer to. That doesn't mean that we can't, um, you know, hypothesize about these things. We certainly can. And I, and I will say that, you know, there, there are a lot of people doing, uh, block periodization and they have different ways of doing it some people do block periodization and make it a really high volume week like if you look at some of the stuff that keegan and russell have been doing it looks like high volume block periodization where they just do this massive high intensity and high volume week and get a massive TSS load in one week. And then I've also seen it where that week is strictly focused on intensity and the volume for that week could actually be somewhat lower than your normal training week. Um, the TSS is probably going to be the same or higher because of how high intensity that week is. But the, the volume, the duration is, is lower. Um, As far as what those other two days in the week, you know, if you also you don't have to do five days, you could do four, you could do six, you could, you know, we don't we don't know what the optimal number of days is. It's just that the research has shown five days. So that's kind of what we're going off of. But as far as what those other days in the week look like, are they a complete rest day? Are they an endurance ride? Are they a recovery ride? Again, these are. These are things that we could hypothesize about, but it would be exactly that. It wouldn't. It w- if I told you what to do on these other days, it wouldn't be because I've read research about it. It would be because I'm hypothesizing. Sure.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, as far as those two other days, I, I think you just don't want to do anything that's going to compromise your intensity days. So, like, if you're a mm-hmm. high level athlete and you can you can handle a two or three hour endurance ride on that day, and it's not going to affect your subsequent intensity day that's fine. But if you're, you know, training volume is 10 hours a week, then you're probably better off, uh, just taking those as full on rest days or maybe a short, like 30 minute recovery ride. Um, that way you're not risking, uh, compromising those, those intensity days. So Dylan for for you, like, you know, I've, I've seen you curate a a handful of different block periods for yourself. How do you go
0: about picking which workouts you're going to include for those intensity days? Um, yeah, I mean, some of the, some of the intensity days in there are going to be race specific. Um, so whatever race I'm training for, I kind of choose an interval session that's sort of specific to that. Um, and then some of those days are just going to be general high intensity days. And by general high intensity days, that's probably VO two max intervals or 30 thirties. Um, and so a typical, like, let's say I'm doing like, last year I did a block I did a block periodization week, I think a month out from Schwamigan. And so I knew that Schwamigan was going to be a very punchy race with a lot of high intensity efforts, something that I hadn't really been training for up until that point, because I'd been training for stuff like Leadville and Unbound, very much more steady state type effort. So I think that that week, uh, I mean, I could go back on my training peaks and look at exactly what it looked like. But I think that that week definitely had 30-30s in it, maybe two sessions of 30-30s. I think that week definitely had VO2 max intervals in it, maybe two sessions of VO2 max intervals, and then there might have been one uh, threshold-type workout in there as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I would... And I think there's research to indicate that you you want both race... This, this goes beyond just block periodization. This goes for... Uh, anybody in the kind of build up to a race period, but I think you do want some race specific intensity days, and you also want some general intensity days. Those general intensity days may not be specific to the race that you're training for, but hopefully they'll bring up your your FTP, which will bring up everything else. Sure. So with the block period, you're saying you're not focused
1: on one energy system. Specifically, like you're you're kind of mixing in, like you might you might mm-hmm. emphasize like a you know power at VO2 max if you're training for something that's going to have a lot of you know uh, high intensity efforts in the race, but you're also
0: throwing in some some other workouts too to just boost your general fitness. Yeah, so here's the thing: is that I typically when I've done a block week, I do not focus on one energy system, but There are people that have done block weeks and they only focus on one energy system. And I'm not saying that that is right or wrong. Um, I I think that's a perfectly fine way to do it. You could do a block week. If you really want to bump up your VO two max for a race where you or you know, your power at VO two max for a race, where you know that that is going to be important. You may have a block week where you're doing nothing but VO two max style intervals. Right. Um, and that's fine. Or, you know, maybe you're training for time trialing, and you, the only thing that matters to you is your FTP. You may have a block week where all you're doing is uh, intervals at FTP, and that that's I, I think that's also a fine way to do it. Um, I think a lot of the research has some of the research I think has has people doing the same intervals over and over and over again. It doesn't necessarily have a mix it up so you know, you could focus on just one energy system or you could, you could mix it up. I I guess what I'm getting at here is there's not necessarily set rules for how you need to do a block week. And part of that is because, you know, people are different and races are different. Racing demands are different, but also the research isn't that final, you know, we don't, we don't have that granular and answers right now. We we have a general idea that block periodization works, but we don't we don't know the specifics down to these these marginal details yet.
2: Yeah, and I just okay. want to caution everyone that like Dylan went into a block week extremely tra- trained, so like don't confuse a block week with cramming training because that won't work. <laughs> like it, if you try and do this massive week when you're already like don't have a decent base, you know, it's going to take you much longer than you expect to dig out of that hole. So, yeah,
0: Yeah, and that's a great point. And, and I, I generally say that uh, block periodization is an advanced training tactic. It Mm -hmm. is not something that you should prescribe to or do if you're a beginner cyclist. Um, It's probably something that you shouldn't attempt until you're, I don't know maybe three or four years into serious training. Um, so yeah.
1: So let's talk a
0: little bit about the, the timing of the block period
1: and then what the subsequent weeks look like. Cause that kind of, that's mm-hmm. part of his next question here is, you know, how do you, where do you put place the block week relative to your key event? And then what are those weeks following in the lead up to that event look like?
0: Sure. So this is what the research says, uh, a a block month should look like, if you will. So the research has compared, um, they've done it over long periods, like three months, and they've also done it over short periods, one month. And I think in both those scenarios, the block periodization actually came out on top over traditional periodization. Um, So, you know, they're assuming that people on average are doing two intensity days per week. So they've got people doing two intensity days per week for a month and then they've got the block week doing five intensity days per week in the first week, and then one intensity day per week every week after that. So I think that if you, if you look at these studies, the total number of intensity days for that month is the same for both groups, right? So they're taking out that confounding variable of one group did more intensity days than the other. They actually did the same amount of intensity. The difference is how how they how they organized it right one one group preloads all of it in the first week and the other group spreads it out evenly and that seems to produce favorable results it seems to produce <laughs> favorable results when you when you group all your intensity in the first week and then do one intensity day per week after that so to to the best of my knowledge right now i think that's probably how you should go about it and the way i've done it in practice is usually the week after the block week is probably close to what you might consider a recovery week. And those following weeks, you know, the volume is going up a little bit, but yeah, I usually just do one, one intensity day per week after that. Um, unless I'm feeling really good and I feel like I've recovered really well. Uh, so, you know, one intensity day per week doesn't sound like a lot after the block week, but I think if you get through the block week, you'll, You'll probably be happy about that because a lot of times you're quite toasted.
1: And Dylan, do you know? Have there been any long term studies to sh- to compare like using the block period cycle as like mm-hmm. your standard
0: training protocol compared yeah. to like a you know normal period periodized approach? The longest that I know of is three months, okay. um, so twelve weeks. And again, the twelve week the twelve week came out on top. Over the traditional now, I I don't I'm sorry Dylan for that twelve weeks. So just to clarify, so it was a twelve week three block period cycles. Then mm-hmm. it was okay. three it was three block months back yep. to back to back. Yep. Now I don't usually prescribe that. In fact, I don't think I've ever prescribed that. I have pre- prescribed block months, but I haven't prescribed three block months back to back to back. Um, because I think in practice, usually I'm more concerned with somebody you know gradually building up their tolerable volume in the base season and um and building up you know some some race specific intensity in the build season and then when they've gotten to a certain fitness level that i think that they're ready for a block week we may just have a month or two left for until until they're racing uh and i I'm a little, I'm a little hesitant to suggest doing block weeks back to back to back to back just for uh, the sake of trying not to burn out. I, I, th- I think that possibly doing block weeks back to back to back could, uh, could could be a way to burn out. Um, and maybe if the if they had done the study for for five months or six months, which is you know how long people train to get ready for these A events, um, I don't know. Maybe the results would would be different as people start to get fatigued from doing these massive weeks over and over and over again. Yeah.
1: How about you, Kaylin? Have you employed a block period with any of your athletes? No,
2: no. Um, Again, I think I just try and be a little more conservative because I do think um, you need to go in with such a high level of experience and Um, I've never done one myself. I mean, the closest thing I've done was in a sense, like racing my way into fitness, um, and did kind of an early season stage race. Um, but yeah, that took, I know, I, I just feel like it took too long to recover from and I would have been better suited doing standard training during that, during that time that early on. So yeah, I think there's a time and a place for it, but
0: yeah, there's, there's a, there's a fine line between getting enough recovery and and not with block. I mean, it's it's that way for training in general, but especially with block periodization. I have done block periodization wrong before. Uh, I think a couple of years ago, I tried to do a block week, and I think I I think I just tried to get back into normal training too quickly afterwards, and I was I was smoked for a month or so. I had to take a week off. Uh, at at one point, because my my power just wasn't there, like I wasn't, I I failed the block week. Like the block week <laughs> wasn't helpful. The block week was detrimental. Yeah, um, and I've had I've had block uh, block week produce some of the highest power values that I've ever seen. So I've I've actually my own experience. I've had a block week go both ways before. Yeah, yeah, and,
1: and like you said, it's probably that fine line between getting enough recovery and not enough for, in in and, you know, not enough recovery. Yeah.
2: Adam, have you done one?
1: Uh, yeah, I've done a handful of block periods. Um, I think probably three, I think I did two in one season like three years ago. And then I did one, maybe two years ago. I didn't do a block period last year. Um, it went, it went well. I mean, I, 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 so two, two seasons ago when I did it, I think I did the block period too late. It was like three weeks before my A event. Like I did the block week. Then I did like the recovery week with the, I think there was actually a race the weekend after. So like that was kind of like my one intensity session. And then a week later was like my A race. And I didn't, I wasn't going super great for the race, but then two weeks later was Schwalm again. And I had a really good Schwalm again. So like I kind of like peaked a little bit later than I expected to. So the next time around, I I bumped it up and, and moved it to like I think it was four or five weeks before the A race. Um, so that, that's where yeah. the timing you know kind of comes in because you have to allow your body to make those appropriate adaptations and also like recover enough to where you're fresh enough for that A race.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I and I, I did a block week before Schwamm again last year, and I guess I'll I'll say my own personal experience with last year. Uh, I've done a block. I, I've probably done maybe six or seven block weeks total at this point. Um, if you account, if you count stage racing, then it might be ten because a stage race is kind of like a block week, right? Um, but anyway, so Schwamigan last year, I did a block week leading up to Schwamigan, and I'll I'll be honest, leading into Schwamigan, I was very confident because I had seen some of the highest power numbers for certain durations that I'd ever seen before um, at a at a fairly low weight. Um, so I was, I was thinking, wow, I'm, I'm really on one. And the block week went super well too. I like nailed every single workout. So I'm like, I'm really on one. I'm really in shape for this. Uh, if anybody who listens to Mark Rose may remember that I I thought I had a super dialed bike setup which i think i still (laughs) think it was a dialed bike setup but i was i was like really hoping to turn heads at schwammigan and then to be honest schwammigan just went average like it didn't go bad but it was an average race for me uh when compared to my other lifetime grand prix races i think i got 20th and that's about what i had been getting in the other lifetime grand prix races so um you know did it work did it not (laughs) i don't it's hard to say um I, I, when I'm looking back on that, I think I may have tapered a little bit too hard, been a little bit too fresh for Schwamigan. Uh, that may have been part of it. And then the other thing that I'll say about that is that I I really suffered late in the season, Um, and it may not have been related to the block week, but it may have been. And and I think part of that is just it's a really long season, and it's hard to stay at peak form for that long. But I, I think I was getting to the point where I was a bit fatigued and. Perhaps doing a block week so late in the season didn't help with that. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe
1: combining too much intensity with volume during that block week. I mean, it's, yeah, it's hard mm-hmm. to know, but yeah, it's, it can be tricky. So <clears throat> I would say, like for most people out there, be cautious if you're going to throw a block week in if you're self coached. You know, we've given you mm-hmm. some good advice here, but just know that it might not go to plan the first time you try it.
3: Mm-hmm. All
1: right. You want to do a quick one here? Sure. To yeah. round it out? Okay. So this one comes from Halal, and he's, ask, he's asking about off-season training. So I believe he lives in the Southern Hemisphere. So we're talking to anyone who's kind of entering their, you know, or amidst their off-season. We, we, we're, you know, we're getting into spring and summer here, but if you live in the South or Southern Hemisphere, you're, <clears throat> you're entering fall and in winter. So, <clears throat> hey, everyone, during the off-season when the gym is the main focus, how much endurance fitness should be maintained? If, for example, during normal training, my TSS on average is 600, how much of a percentage of that should be maintained during the offseason?
0: Thanks. Um, I mean, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't really, I don't, usually the way that I think about riding in the offseason, especially when you're doing heavy gym work, is that the riding that you're doing should be, should be fun and not structured. So I'm not usually giving people a set TSS value, but if you wanted to be analytical about it and think about how many hours per week or how much TSS per week, I probably about half of your normal volume in TSS. Um, and like I said, I would have that writing be unstructured and low in volume and in low in intensity and just kind of you're going out for fun to have you know, just have fun on the bike. I mean, if you're getting into the gym, that's probably all you're going to be able to do anyway, because if you haven't been lifting recently, you're probably going to be quite sore. And every time you get on the bike, it's not going to, fe- you're not going to feel amazing. So sure. what about you, Kate?
2: Yeah. I mean, I would say the same thing. Um, yeah, I don't know if I would say half, it depends on how, how many hours you're training already. Um, but yeah, I would say Probably on, if you're doing two strength days a week, um, just pairing that with, I would say the first few weeks, just like a really easy 30 to 60 minute spin, which doesn't sound like anything, but I think it's going to go a long ways. And then the other days are just, yeah, if you're mountain bike, maybe doing some skills work, um, but just having fun. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. And hopefully you're coming off of a like off season break. So mm-hmm two to four weeks completely off the bike so like getting back into 600 tss of training would be like really hard to do anyways so it's kind of like an organic way of like hey we got to kind of ease you back into some training here so like just getting out for you know handful of hours each week having some fun doing something different like if you're a road racer maybe hop on the mountain bike if you're a mountain biker maybe you go out for some easy road rides or gravel rides or if you're a mountain biker that races cross country maybe you're like hitting some Trail bike stuff. If you got like a big, big travel bike, you know, go to the bike park or something like that. Um,
2: oh, and total cross train, like yeah. go and run, like take totally. out the running shoes, like do something totally different.
1: Yep. Yeah. Depending on like, yeah, what kind of climate you live in. Like if you're in a winter climate and you can go do some winter sports stuff, like that's the perfect time to just go, yeah, get some other exercise in. Um, whether it's like aerobic focused or not kind of doesn't matter because like you said, like the main, main focus is still making those strength gains in the gym. So, um, kind of anything to just stay active and ease your way back into the training. But I would say you probably don't return to normal training volume until six to eight weeks in would be kind of like my guess, which would be 10 to 12 weeks after like your mid season or your off season break. So you're looking at like, you know, the off season period being anywhere from two and a half to three months or so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I would say six to eight weeks is about how long it takes a person that's inexperienced with lifting to get to the point where they're not super sore after every gym session. Yep. So,
1: yeah. Cool.
0: I think we nailed it.
1: Awesome. Wrap it there. And thanks guys. We will catch you next week. Cool all right folks thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the matchbox podcast like i said at the beginning you can send any questions or topic suggestions to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email title the matchbox podcast links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes tune in next week for another endurance training related discussion and learn about how you can find that extra match for your next big event catch y'all soon let's go
4: I've never driven a rally car before, but I'd imagine there are a lot of similarities between racing rally cars and racing bikes. Both involve speed, skill, and suspense. But one big difference is the navigator. The navigator's job is to communicate with the driver what turns are coming up, the severity of those turns, and any obstacles to look out for on course. With the help of the navigator, the driver goes faster. As athletes, we too need a navigator. This is where the coach comes into the picture. Like the navigator, the coach helps guide the athlete along the right path. When it's all said and done, the coach helps the athlete go faster. To take the analogy one step further, I'd bet the best navigators are those who used to drive themselves. Because of their own experience behind the wheel, they're better equipped to help the driver. This is what Ignition Coach Co. is all about. All of our coaches are elite-level racers, and that makes them better coaches. They know how to train, how to prep, how to win, how to lose, and how to stay focused through it all because they are in the midst of that pursuit right now. Here at Ignition Coach Co., we believe that coaching and racing go hand-in-hand, and it's our goal to fuse those two things together. We'd love to connect you with one of our coaches. Sign up for a free consultation today. Ignition Coach Co., Developing coaches, connecting athletes.